Time lapse. This is State of Demand Gen. Hey everyone, this is Chris Walker, and welcome back to the State of Demand Gen podcast. Before we get into this episode, quick announcement: we are hiring here at Refine Labs. We are looking for a director of Demand Gen, as well as a senior designer. So if you think you have the skills, we are really paving the way with a new way to do demand. Uh, across B2B SaaS. And so if you think you have the skills, would love to learn more, I'd encourage you to reach out to me on LinkedIn DM or check out the job postings on LinkedIn. And then one more thing, um, we're coming up on the holiday season. I just wanted to wish you all a very safe and happy holiday season. For those of you that are closing out the quarter, hope you crush the Q4 goal. For those of you that are finishing up 2021 planning, hope you all are getting that tightened up so that you can hit the ground running in the new year. And with all of that, I'm wishing you a really safe and happy holiday season and a happy new year. We'll see you in January. And now to this episode. Where I think that we should start tonight, and I'm going to come out of the gates hot, is about to just try and think about why didn't outreach start Thursday night sales? Like, why didn't sales loft start it? Why didn't, um, gosh, I can't even think of a MarTech vendor. Why didn't um, DemandBase start this show, Demand Gen Live? Probably because it would have been ABM Live. But like the, 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 the point of the question is, why didn't a SaaS company start something like this that has clearly been so successful? Um, and I think it's interesting to just talk through it. I would, I would probably love to go back and forth on this one. But the reason that companies wouldn't do something like this is, is one, fear of failure. Like you go and you put this together and on episode one, only six people show up and you're the marketer that stuck your neck out to go and do this. That fear of failure inside of companies like that is real. I think people need a lot more space to be creative and take risks and do things that are not currently best practiced by Salesforce's eBooks. And so fear fear of failure. Number two, not incentivized to do it no marketing metrics map to doing something like this. Where are the leads? Where's the attribution? How, how long is this going to take to close? Where's the attribution on the content later? I don't, organic is going to take too long. Whatever those things are, nothing about something like this, which has been wildly successful for our company. So for the 41 weeks that we've been doing it and very successful for the people that keep coming back here that have implemented some of the tactics and learned from them. Um, so fear of failure metrics that don't map to them doing it. And third talent, the third thing is talent. And so, and there's, I'll keep going cause there's actually more. The third thing is talent. And so a lot of marketing teams do not have a person that could actually go and do this, that actually, allocates enough time to do it. And that has the skill and the knowledge to, to do something like this. So marketing teams really need to think about who, how they can get someone that is a true expert in their, in their buyer's world on their team. It is absolutely critical. The days of writing surface level SEO content that makes no difference to a chief information security officer or a CFO are over. I know you get the web traffic, but it makes no impact. And so there's that one is talent. And then where was I going to go with the last one? I'm not sure, but I'll, I'll, it'll come back to me. And so I'll pause there. I'll pause there. And then when I get it, I'll, I'll, I'll shout it back out.
Anyone got any thoughts? Just a couple. Right. Yeah, I think you, I think you hit it. I think you got all the big reasons. Um, and I think also, uh, I think that community builders, when they come from a place, like when you think of like Amy and Scott and you, um, I think there's a difference like in what a community builder is like. And I think that that's really hard to replicate within a big company. Um, I, you know, I, I would argue even if like they had the talent and they checked off some of those boxes, they were willing to do it. Would people be as excited to go to something that outreach was putting on versus, um, you know, sort of respected leaders in the space that are clearly coming from a different place. So I, I don't know if it's like the intent or the it's perception the intent. of the intent. Yeah. I think that's outreach, could, outreach has plenty of great people that could have pulled this off. And so I, I really do think it's the, it's the measurement into the intent. And so, yeah, that's, I think that's a really fascinating thing. If you, if you think about your company and, and the idea of doing this, a lot of people would think that it's dumb. Like the people listening to this might be like, like, why, why would I have my CFO spend every Tuesday night answering questions from a bunch of people that were probably never going to buy from us. And they just think about it in a completely backwards fashion, helping people do the right things, creates brand, creates awareness, creates business, just not direct attribution type of stuff that every CFO wants to see. Cool. I got another one that has been um, ultra whoa, whoa. fascinating. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I guess there's more. Yeah, okay. whoa. Wait, there's more. Why, why move so quickly? Hang on a second. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Let's hold on to this. A bit I like today. it. <laughs> All right. I mean, you're very quick moving. All right. We agree. <laughs> but within large companies, I'm aware that they, there exists jobs that are centered around community. Community management. Mm -hmm. Related. Totally. Related. So I'm asking the question, I guess, openly. Are there practices that they deploy that might be useful? Because we're all marketers here. And we're all feel full of lack of attribution and wasting our time. And will will our bosses like this idea if we all go back and say, let's let's do one of these communities, right? Mm -hmm. So Okay, we've said why we don't do it, but maybe we should talk about why we should. Oh, I mean, you brought up the topic. Why not? I'm, mm -hmm. I'm proposing. And, so what and everybody the, what else can the, chime in just because what I are the reasons so why? I love it. Yeah, yeah. Why, yeah. why not? Right? Yeah, this is great. Let's go I through mean, it. So why throw away this great topic that you've opened up for us? You've, you've identified, I think, and maybe others can chime in, you know, some of the many reasons why we might be afraid to kind of pull it off. Mm-hmm. We know in the back of our minds that it's a good idea, but then there's what we have to show our boss that we did this quarter that's useful. Mm -hmm. So I, I know I just want to, I think it's a great topic. Yeah. You're throwing let's me an alley-oop and I'm going to come over and slam dunk it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first off on very large companies and the, the role technically tip typically is community manager. Um, and so inside of community manager, the profile that those types of companies are looking for is somebody that understands social media, not someone that understands their customers. And so that is the, that's the tough dynamic, especially like medical device companies have this a lot, a lot of large other enter enterprise type of companies that don't sell to sales and marketing will have this type of role. And you end up with somebody that knows how to leave comments on posts 
but the things that they but the things that they say don't matter to the buyer. I think that's the disconnect. Now let's talk about all the reasons why to do this. The first caveat here is that you got to be hitting your goals already. I say that a lot um, because otherwise you're going to get three episodes in and this CRO is going to come over and say, where are all my leads? And that's, you're not going to have anything to show and they're going to shut the program down. It just goes, same thing for this, same thing for podcasts, any type of organic channel, which, which is difficult to measure and sometimes takes time to ramp up are very, very vulnerable. If you don't, if you're not already hitting your goals and delivering for what the company needs from you as a marketing team. Now, if you can get over that hump, let's talk about all the reasons why. I mean, we can just go through, like try and reflect on, on why we did this initially, if I, like, I'm really being honest, the reason that we went to this format is because we were having a ton of success with, um, I guess kind of like influencer marketing events, like vibe physical events in the first quarter of 2020 with Josh Braun and Justin Welsh, where we would use it to create content, had a small audience and then, um, and then had the, you know, had a, Great session. People asked questions. They learned. Everyone had a good time, had a nice venue. Then we took the content afterwards, chopped it up. People distributed it. I distributed it. And then we would eventually think about putting it on a podcast. And so this was just almost a direct mapping over to that. Now, people, there's a huge, there's a really tough stigma in the idea of webinars. This is technically a Zoom meeting, but it, a lot of people would think that it's a webinar, right? Demand Gen Live webinar. I think it's very, very, very different when you have a, a back and forth participant format. The key is instead of just pushing your own agenda to try and make it as valuable as possible for everyone that's attending. And if the people that are attending have the same persona as your buyers, then if it's valuable to them, it'll be valuable to everyone else. The second piece is that I have a, a very tight pulse on the market because of all the insights that I get. This is content creation, market research, an event strategy, um, eventually a distribution strategy, putting together a podcast. There's so many different pieces at once is all the reasons why. And so I think those are a couple ideas about why people should try it. And the last one is that long-term brand, right? And so companies love to think about scaling their sales channel by headcount. But if you put on a good weekly show, and you distribute it effectively on a podcast, and that podcast continues to grow in listenership, you scale results with one person. You have 50,000 people listening to your podcast versus 50,000 sales reps communicating that message all at once are all in different, different places. And so people need to really start thinking about scalability long-term. I don't, it doesn't bother me that there's 23 people on here live right now. I think that's awesome. I actually like it because we can have a more clear, direct one-on-one -on -one conversation than if there was a hundred people, I think people would be more comfortable asking questions when there's a smaller group. I love it. I'll roll, I'll roll with it. And then a ton of people are going to listen to it afterwards. And so I think people really, um, really miss that component of scalability. If you are committed to the process and do it well, how much greater of an impact it can have than adding one more SDR. Chris, can I just pile on? <laughs> um, you have a question? 
No, just uh, want to add a supplement to what you were saying. Uh, you know, I, I do believe in uh, what he says. I've been observing him for a few, you know, a few good months. Um, definitely does add a lot of value, I would like to say. And also think of this as more inbound. Because when your sales reps are making those outbound calls, they have to call and convince people. Here, people are uh, one of the intent channels. They're, they're looking for information. And, uh, you know, so they're coming in, listening to all of this and the value adds that that are being put forth. And that truly conveys you as an expert, which he truly is. Um, So which is why companies should do it. Uh, Large scale companies, yes, as he advises, uh, you shouldn't because then it's not being measured. And then people are, oh, you're wasting time. And then they will cut costs. And then eventually you're one of the targets, too, with the costs. Uh, And that's not helpful. Uh, but places where they allow experimentation, you should absolutely must. Yeah, this is this is perfect for, I, I think, a company of any size. Um, but in my view, it is way more valuable to the company that is small, that's competing against the Goliath. Um, I just think that you, when you're at that size, and it leads in perfectly to the next topic, which is why only having a small budget. What, 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 you're moving on again. You're moving on again. Yeah, what yeah. would be sorry to slow you down? So let's say we do have our other boxes checked. Okay. Let's say, for example, we're we're loved and appreciated. It's time to experiment. It's time to do something like this, maybe. What might be some great best practices or thoughts? And and, and everybody's got an opinion on this, I'm sure, mm-hmm. of how to launch it, what tone to have, who might be present. Um, what situations might you try to enhance or stray away from? Uh, I, and I'm I'm sticking with this because I think you it's a great topic that and sometimes we just move so quickly. I, yeah, it's I, okay. It's so a my good apologies case study. If, if I'm holding you up. Excuse me. I'm sorry. This is why we're here. This is great. And so yeah, we can use this as a as a case study as to how we got this done. The a really interesting thing that people I think need to look deep on is that when Gatano and I initially got together, we basically had two people that had decent audience sizes. And even through all of the promotion that we did, we still only got 30 people here, the first episode or 36 or whatever. And so I want people to think that it, it just know that it is not about the number. It really isn't. Um, if you if you have one person on here like you, David, right now that are asking questions that can be answered, that the content can be repackaged, that's that's the purpose of this whole thing. And so the numbers don't matter. How you actually get it out and promote it, I think that using having somebody else that is influential or well known is helpful for sure because they can bring you to an audience. And if you don't have an audience right now, having them be a guest on your show or a you know co-host on se- season one might help accelerate the process of people knowing about it and people with people listening to it. Um, I think that's a good, a good step. The next one is consistency. And when it comes to any organic channel, it is a consistency. There are very few people out there that would still be doing this episode on December 22nd or whatever night it is. Very few people that would be doing this consistency matters. And so consistency Picking a good time, like we we're at seven thirty p.m. I don't want to. I, I, I mean, I don't. I don't really feel like changing it. But honestly, if we change it to twelve p.m. on a Thursday, we might get a bigger audience. We tested that a couple of times. So anyway, that's just the process of testing and figuring out what works for you and things like that. Um, 
So timing can matter. How you promote it matters. The topics and the agenda and how those are communicated matters. The, The speaker and their level of credibility matters. Like if you're trying to get emergency medicine physicians onto a thing and you've got some random person that has no credentials presenting the thing, you're probably unlikely to get it. You get a ER physician from, you know, blah, 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 um, Massachusetts general hospital. And that's well known with the, with the credentials, then you have a lot better shot of people showing up. So having someone that has credibility already is probably a good one. Having a very defined purpose is super interesting. Um, and so narrow topics, like we kind of went in a a couple different directions. We were in sales a little bit. We were in customer success a little bit. We've reeled it back in because I found that more narrow is oftentimes better. Um, One other thing I'll mention that you didn't mention, but perhaps it's just, you've made it very easy to return. You have set up an easy process for someone to sign up once and it comes up every, uh, it's on my calendar. Mm -hmm. You got into my, in on my calendar. And so that made it super simple. The URL didn't change every, every episode or every six weeks, Mm -hmm. which is what some of these things have had. Um, You do have an engaging conversation, which is so it's always kind of fun once you get here, but all the other things, I definitely underline everything you said I think the, um, the email that you send out a little bit in advance Mm -hmm. on the day of that says, these are the things we'd like to talk about um, is helpful. And indeed, I could imagine if you did want a bigger audience, a way to expand on that same notion, but providing that a few days in advance mm-hmm. to a LinkedIn audience so that they could kind of find it, you know, comes through their stream eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've made it very simple. And that's important if you want recurring. Totally. My, if I really look, my number one KPI on this is repeat visitors. I think it's a really interesting metric. And I think companies could compare that to what they're doing for in a virtual event and see how many people come back. And then they would get a sense about wh- whether or not their events are successful. They are, most of those companies don't do them at a weekly frequency. So it would be hard to kind of like quantify that as well. And so, um, the weekly frequency, we can get into that too. At times we've thought about it doing it twice a week. We've not thought about slowing down. And so, um, the cadence is important, right? Like if we did this once a month, I'd be interested to know whether or not people that are on here would be more or less committed. My sense is that they would actually be less committed. I don't know for sure. Um, and so repeat visitors is a very, very good indicator again, sort of qualitative, um, and requires, uh, a different mindset, right? Like if you're measuring on how many contacts you got for your sales stuff team to follow up, you don't care whether Matthew showed up six times or whether he just came once and then you cold call them. You don't care. <laughs> And so, um, change your mindset, change your metrics, create better content, get better results. Are we good now? Can we move on? We have a ton of questions, but did you want to grab one oh, more? No, no, no. Let's, let's go to questions. Way more important. Um, this I think was the week we had the most questions submitted in advance and they're all, um, really good ones. Um, and from some of our longtime listeners as well, um, Matthew, why don't you come on? You wore your jacket. You have two really good questions actually, that um, a couple other people had similar questions. So I think we can, we can knock out a couple of these topics. Um, why don't you tackle one at a time? Uh, yeah, sure. So my jacket and I both have a question and it's, uh, it's about the, uh, Apple iOS, uh, 14 update and mm-hmm. it's 
basically putting the privacy locker on Facebook, making you have to opt in. And so I'm wondering how you think that will affect Facebook advertising going into 2021, if you think at all. And specifically, you can keep that focused on, I guess, B2B. So I'm sure mm-hmm. there's a B2C component to it as well. That may be a whole separate discussion. So short answer is none of us really know what the impl- implications are. So this is all speculation. Um, my feeling is that it will actually have a more dramatic impact on B2C than B2B. Because in, B- in B2C, oftentimes you're optimizing for a purchase and you're letting the Facebook algorithm figure out who to serve the ad to based on all of the behavioral and, and purchasing behaviors and different things like that, that Facebook has data in, um, on the B2B side, putting your audience. And if you're using it in a certain way with the right objective, I think that you're going to be fine. Yes. They're, they're like ML audience expansion algorithm. Their lookalike audience expansion setups may not work as well. Um, that's sort of like my general, my general sense on it. And I'm not sure how it impacts retargeting either. Um, I have limited, understanding of, of this to be direct. Like I have a, I think I have a deeper sense than most, but like, I I still consider it. I don't feel fully educated on the topic. And then the last piece is it is like, whether something changes or not, it is our job as marketers to adjust to the reality of what's happening. And so if Facebook's, you know, algorithm doesn't work and the ads stop working, we're going to go find somewhere else. Cause it's, as long as the playing field is level across all marketers, we just feel like we're going to win because we have way more flexibility to experiment and learn. And so, um, it's less about trying to predict what's going to happen and more about just sensing when something has changed and making the necessary adjustments. You got one more, let's do it. These were the two that you sent in were tough ones. Yeah, yeah, no, I did. So my my other (laughs) one was a little bit more of a tactical question. Uh, It's an attribution question, which is maybe your favorite and least favorite kind of question to answer at the same time. Mm -hmm. But it's on um, it's on um, for Google Ads conversion. So I'm wondering if you wanted to pontificate on time decay versus last touch. Which do you prefer as a conversion setup, and why? If 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 it even matters in your opinion. So. Again, not my, um, not my favorite topic because yes, it, it's important inside of the Google ads platform, but just look inside of Salesforce and you're just going to have a much better view of what's actually happening. Um, with that said, um, we have, we in, at times default to our customers default attribution window. So our customers define this, especially for larger companies. And so we have both running right now. I feel like I prefer time decay. I feel like it's more, I feel like it's more fair, quote unquote, last touch is going, it's just kind of strips out everything. It's just like last touch attribution in general is going to give credit to the thing that that most likely Google or paid search. If you look at the overall marketing mix, and if you look inside of paid search, it probably will end up being more leaning toward a branded search if it's a multi-touch Google paid campaign. And so it's nice to see, you know, 0.21 conversions on a, you know, non-branded term that eventually made the impact to the conversion. It's good to see, it's good to know that. And so if you don't set up time decay, you wouldn't see things like that. Not a a ton of depth on that one because it's just like not not a topic that I'm ultra passionate about. But as I experience this, I find that it would be, I think it's more objective to use time decay. Cool. Thank you, man. Cool, cool. Questions keep getting more specific and that's what we're here for. I like it. 
Yeah. Ashley has got a good one. And then I want to get to David next because he submitted a good one. And then there's a couple anonymous ones that I will ask on on our listeners behalf, but Ashley, let's, uh, let's bring you on and you can talk through your question. Okay. So simple focus software, I have like eight different SaaS tools. Oh, we know. (laughs) Yes. They are all, they're all self-serve, right? So you come in and you choose to get on the trial. Some have 14-day trials. Some have 30. I think one goes a little longer. Mm. And um, I'm auditing in early 2021 the nurtures that are set up after you get into these trials. Mm -hmm. I am personally not a big fan of nurtures. But I have seen at least one example, and I wanted to see if you had seen anything like this or had any ideas of like an initial automated welcome email that highlights like a checklist of things you should do when you're in that trial to like see the full benefits. So I wondered if you could kind of share your thoughts on one email and let them be versus like a sequence that keeps reminding them that they haven't done stuff. So um, <laughs> on the agenda here that we're kind of moving around, but it's, it's we're starting to work, work with companies that are sales led and trying to move to product led. And so we're getting exposed to a lot of these different things. When you have a freemium and then once they convert low ACV type of product, you're going to need to lean on email to get them from, from free, from sign up over to paying user. It's just the reality of the situation. You can't have a a manual sales resource. It doesn't make a lot of sense to do some type of retargeting or things like that inside of an ad platform. And so email or, or we're testing SMS right now. And so that's another thing to think about. And so in terms of the emails, I don't like have, I don't have data and I don't have a ton of experience in whether one email with a checklist versus five emails over five days would work better. So I think that becomes a, um, something for you to test and, and learn. But I, I feel like email SMS or some combination of the two will be something that you'll need in, ter- in terms of moving and increasing the conversion rate. They, a lot of companies will split that out and call it growth just focusing between the conversion of sign up to paying user. Cause that specific segment is a really interesting for product led, a very interesting component of the mix, whether that conversion rate is 2% or 10% completely changes your company. Okay. So one question that I put in the email that I've been reminded that I want to ask is I'm considering, um, and would love examples of, going from a shorter trial, I think ballpark right now, which is a time tracking and invoicing tool uh-huh. is, it's on a 14 day trial. Sorry. We've got a lot of good. stuff going on in my house. So 14 day trial for a tool that really to like get the dopamine hit and see it work, you need to invoice. So you need to track time invoice and then get paid. Uh-huh. to feel that cycle. So uh, we've been talking as a team about whether that means we go to like 40 days so that someone has a month and time to invoice, but then that really doesn't include a billing cycle. So thoughts about products like that um, and, and what you would maybe consider doing with that particular one. Yeah, I would, I would refer you to a lot of the profit well content. They focus a ton on pricing and these also on these types of, of things. How long should the trial be? Um, 
how do you, whether, you know, freemium actually is an acquisition strategy, not a pricing strategy, um, different things like that. I think Patrick Campbell's super smart trying to get him on the podcast here in January to talk about some of these things. And so I like talking about things that I know a lot about, and these aren't things that I, I know much about. And so I think I'll sort of defer and pass you over there. I can appreciate that. I would love yeah. to hear his thoughts on a freemium on that one with just like being able to log a certain number of hours or have one user or something that would be the equivalent of freemium mm-hmm. on that product. Yeah. Angelica's Thank trying to set you. that up. Yeah. That would be amazing. Cool. Cool. All right. Good to see you, Ashley. You too. Chris, I don't know if you can, if you can speak too much more about it, but there was a few questions in the chat, um, around your comment on testing some SMS. So I don't know if there's any more specifics you can share on anything you found so far or or what you're testing or if it's a little too early. It's too, we're still in like the vendor selection phase. And so not, uh, not enough. Uh, we haven't moved forward enough to actually have anything to share. Um, but it's something that we're looking at because people don't look at email as much, especially when you're sending them a bunch, trying to get them into, you know, move the next step from, you know, to integrate their tool in order for them, their success rate on that trial to go up a ton. And so just trying to testing new things to move that needle when cost is a huge issue for that. There's a lot of volume, there's low conversion rates, even if they do convert the price is usually low. And so just like in those types of models, um, there's only so many channels that can be used. We'll have to report back on a future demand gen live after more time has passed. Um, our good friend, David K, you submitted a really interesting idea slash question in advance. Do you want to get into that next? Um, sure. It was, you guys are apparently evaluating some SMS text message sending tools in that process. You're probably learning the ins and outs of what would be good or bad Uh, without endorsing any particular product. We would all probably benefit from a state of the nation. Here's what it is. Here's what SMS technology today can do. Here's how you might put it into a workflow. Here's how it might, um, uh, be used le- leveraging particular use cases. Mm-hmm. So I guess my 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 um my thought was, is this a good venue where once a month or periodically we might just dive in on a particular technology type, let's say intent tools, and without trying to endorse a particular mm-hmm. vendor or, or show that one vendor is better than the other, say if you're in a situation where you're looking at these tools. Here are some of the considerations to take into con- to take into consideration. Mm-hmm. Terrible sentence. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and if you did have one already, here's here's some workflows that they, this could flow into. So imagine mm-hmm. you started with this, then you could do these things, and it's a bit hypothetical. And then perhaps a group learning where everyone's got their own particular experiences can kind of pitch in. So it's a it's an idea yeah. for your show. And, and it's not for me to say, but it was an idea. Yeah, good idea. We should uh, get a sense from the audience if people would like to hear this. Yeah. So Anyone can... want the tech insights? Thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> let's see. Let's see. You could do sideways. We got, we got some sideways. <laughs> John turned off his camera for that. <laughs> uh, I'm into testing, so we'll we'll test that in a future episode. Yeah. I feel like my views on. Um, technology are decently published. I try to be as vendor agnostic as possible, unless there's one vendor that's clearly better than all of the others. Um, and secondarily in a lot of cases, I don't necessarily, I don't really like to endorse 
a ton of tech because I don't think you need a lot of it. Oh, so, oh I, but, I, I, I'm, but totally, I don't disagree I you. with anything you're saying. Yeah. Um, there should be a rule. Sorry, this, I just need to get this in. There should be a rule for, a, uh, for companies out there that you must be able to meet certain minimum marketing criteria before you implement a certain piece of technology. Before you buy an ABM software, you must be able to produce a blog post that a CFO likes. Before you implement an intent data tool, you must be able to create a podcast that's that 10 people listen to, whatever it is, because companies skip all of the foundational steps. They never talk to a customer. They never learn anything and they go to the technology. And so I, I think like whether it's a, a like a rule or, or whatever, I think the company should really think about that because um, if you, if you, it's on the agenda and I've been trying to get to it for like six times, but actually I'm going to get to it this time is, is why having a small budget to start is an advantage. Like as a marketing team, you have to have enough budget to actually get something done. But why having a small budget relative to your company, we would, if we had a $10 million budget, we wouldn't be on here. We wouldn't, we probably wouldn't be doing this to be completely honest. That's probably why very large companies don't do it. And so when you have a small amount of money, you have to be smart and you also have to audit all of the things that you're doing about whether or not they're actually moving the needle. And you also have to audit your time about whether or not those things are actually moving the needle. When you have an abundance of resources, there's a ton of waste. And there's all, when there's a ton of waste, there's also not a lot of scrutiny on activities. And so I find that um, both in terms of like how the, how our our internal company works and where our resources are focused, right? If we just raised $5 million in funding, we'd probably be doing seven other things from a product standpoint and we would lose focus. We might not, you know, might get distracted. Um, and so when it comes to, when it comes to not having a small budget, you end up doing things like this, which oddly don't require techno don't require technology except for a $40 a month zoom license. And it really requires talent and, and commitment. I think focus is key there. Mm -hmm. it, it forces focus and that is so important for success. If you had a small budget, you would not most likely not be spending $200,000 a year on content syndication. You would probably cut that. If you had a small budget, you wouldn't be able to go to the conferences. So you might innovate on what your uh, physical virtual hybrid event strategy, but you don't. So you go to keep doing the same things that you're doing. <laughs> Um, I can keep, I can keep rolling or there's a question. Go ahead. I can ask, uh, we have a few more questions that were submitted in advance. It doesn't look like, um, he is on. So I will, I will talk you through this question. Um, so this is, um, Nicole Bohanis, um, emailed this in in advance. I know you mainly cover mid-market SaaS companies, but what would you suggest to a solopreneur who, um, to be on the fastest path to success on LinkedIn. The other day you talked about scaling from 10 K to 20 K and you said that solopreneurs should aim to get to hundred K that of course is my goal, but I wonder if you could elaborate on how to get there. I feel confident in how to get to 20 K through a combination of frequent quality content and non pushy outbound. Um, but I'm not really sure how to scale beyond that. What would you recommend? Focus on followers, maximize those, hire people to do outbound on my behalf. I don't have a podcast yet, 
but I do interview interesting people about once a month on LinkedIn video. So I think it's just like scaling his impact on LinkedIn as he's growing his own business, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's important to have the, the large goal out there because it changes the way that you think, but you shouldn't be racing to get there. It took a really long time to, I mean, really long is relative, but it took a long time to get from zero to a hundred K a month, <laughs> significantly longer than it took to go from a hundred to 200 K a month. And so, um, that's something to consider is that the, the hard, the, the longest part is getting the thing going. And if you're focused on brand, the results scale exponentially, typically, as long as you're an operator as well and you can fulfill on it. And so, um, have the goal out there, know where you want to get to, cause it's going to change your mindset about the things that you do, but, but be patient at the same time, because if you're trying to race to that thing, you end up doing the wrong things that actually slow, ironically slow you down. And so I do not recommend having at 10 to 15 to 20 K a month. I do not recommend having someone hire a team to go outbound for you. You're going to win them at a super low rate. It's going to cost you money. It's going to lower the profitability of your company. And it's, I think it was just less effective. Um, depending on, especially depending on what you're selling. Like if you're selling what we're selling and you're going after the customers that we're going after, definitely not going to work. And so, um, that's something now let's get into the tactics on LinkedIn. So how the questions that I ask, I know he's not, I know he or she's not on the here, but the question, the questions that I would ask is how many times are you posting a day? And most often it would be, I post twice a week. And so for like almost 365 days in a row, I posted every day. And so that's something to think about. Um, at that point, the platform was less mature. There was less people posting content. The opportunity was even greater. The opportunity gets less and less every day. So the, the faster that you recognize it and the, and the more committed you are and the faster that you move, the more impact that you'll have. Um, the next thing to think about is the, is the type of content. When I transitioned from text to video, the results were incredible. And so a lot of people are not, are not committed to that, but it builds so much trust, so much credibility, so much affinity. People can, there's plenty of people that take what I write in a post and literally direct copy it and then post it on their own. And people send me messages with a screenshot and say, Hey, this is what you wrote yesterday. And I don't care, but like you can copy, you can copy someone else's text. You cannot copy someone talking in a video, right? Especially for a consistent period of time, it builds a ton of credibility. So think about the medium. If you feel comfortable on video, I would highly recommend it. And then I honestly, I would recommend something like this. I recommend a live zoom that gets chopped up into video for LinkedIn that you publish every day that becomes a podcast. And if you're, if you're really trying to go and you want it to go faster, the answer is not more things. It's just more of the things that are working. It's more of the right things. And so if you want it to go fast, do one of these five times a week. And I, th- I really think that one, you would get better at it more quickly, right? Than if you're doing it once a week, if you, if you, if you're trying to go to the gym and get in good shape and lose a hundred pounds, be a lot better to go to the gym five days a week than one day a week. And so, um, repetition and consistency of the right activities for a sustained period of time is the answer. There are no shortcuts. It's about getting better at the things that you communicate. It's about getting better at communicating. It's about getting better at the value that you provide to people. It's about having the right mindset. Um, people think that I just like popped up out of nowhere. Like I've been, I've been creating content for social platforms since 2013. 
took me six years before anyone even noticed. Been doing video podcasts for since 2015. Took five years for anyone to notice. And so like, those are some of the things it, it takes, it takes time. It takes commitment and time. And so, um, I think lack of lack of patience, which I have a ton of empathy for, I, I get it. In 2018, I was not as patient as I am right now. Um, and so those are, those are some of the thoughts that I have. I think the patience and the ability to, and the consistency is key. And I think that's actually, it's really, really hard to cultivate that level of patience, um, and live with it day in and day out for years. And that I would say out of everything that you said, that's probably the hardest thing to overcome. Mm -hmm. And it's, 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 uh, we have goals and then we consistently do the right things and let the chips fall where they may. And we do the best that we can. And so, and off like this year, we exceeded the plan. I'm pumped about it. And then next year, who knows what will happen, but those are the, the, the key. And it's really interesting when you think about it is that it, it is the activities and the impact of the activities that matter. And then if those activities really map to the goals or not, and then whether or not you can deliver once you have leads and actually convert them. I think there's a part of it too, of like, you've spoken about this before of not attaching yourself to the outcome. Yeah. I love that. Can't control the outcome. And so like the way that I've compartmentalized or sort of thought about how I've achieved a level of patience, if you will, and like willing to like write it out, it's knowing that all I can control are my behaviors. I can't control the outcome. And if I just every single day do the right thing and get incrementally better every day, um, that is the, that is the best thing I can do within my control to drive the outcome that I want. Mm -hmm. Um, and not worry about whether I get to that number at that date or not. And I think if you can actually get yourself over that hump and get yourself into that mindset, which is easier said than done, took me a long time personally to get there. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for me to even pinpoint like how I got there. I think, I think part of it is just experience and time. You kind of get to a point where you come to that realization. I don't know if you could pinpoint, that's another really interesting question of like, how do you, how do you get to that plane of existence where you're living (laughs) that that mindset day in and day out? Yeah. yeah. And then you, you need to make sure that you're always in a position where you don't need the money. Like, yes, you want to grow, But when you're in a position where you need the money in order to stay in business, in order to pay your bills, in order to do those things, it puts a lot of pressure on your commitment to doing the right things. And so as you continue to grow, be very conscious about how how that happens. Um, Because what a lot of people will do, and a lot of people in my position would get to 20K a month, which hopefully you'll be at soon. And then they would go and buy a million dollar condo thinking that their business is going to continue to grow. And then they got to make their first HOA payment for 1200 bucks and they can't afford it. And then they have to figure out how they're going to go and make more money. And then they go out of business. And so, um, that's a, it's a super interesting, um, component, especially when you're trying to grow a business is you cannot suck money out of the business. (laughs) The money needs to go back into the business if you didn't raise money. And so, um, that's another, that's another point is to siphon off all of the profits that you can, and then figure out how you can inject them in the right ways to grow. That could be hiring a videographer. It could be hiring a part-time designer. It could be hiring a marketing manager to help you put together this zoom. It could be, 
um, putting on an event. Like the, 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 the key is that the money needs to go back into growth and into experimentation and into learning. Um, so those are some of the things that I learned along the way. I love it. That was great. Um, good so question. Have- we should do more of those by the way. Yeah. Yeah. We've got another really good question. It's a little long cause it provides a lot of context and they had re- requested to be anonymous, which is always fun. Okay. And actually, I think this question relates to one of the agenda items too. So maybe this can kind of kick us off. You can share your thoughts and then add anything else uh, from the agenda. All right. So I'm going to read this. Bear with me. Uh, My question has to do with your third point. So I had a tech consultant client who I've encouraged to watch you. um, And he troubleshoots and deploys uh, tech teams to assist with... um, robotics integration into corporate environments. We were able to connect him to new leads that fit his target, but like many consultancies, his CTA was give us a call for a free consultation, come to our round table. They are five to 15K ARR, um, highly competitive niche market with better known consultancies, all doing ABM with far bigger budgets. The the person that wrote in has been encouraging this person to do podcasts, to establish himself as an expert in the space, walked him through how that works. He's considering that time investment, but he wants to keep pushing the free consults as a way to drive demand. Um, And so he he is creating content around that. Uh, Meanwhile... um, We secured a new client in an HR consultancy that deploys construction teams to corporate builders. His go-to CTA is also the free consultation. Um, And this person's worried that it's kind of going in the same direction as the other client. So the question is, do you think it's a good direction to productize um, a team human resources? Okay. Let me just kind of rewind this and I'm going to interpret, since the person's not live, I'll interpret the question as best I can. Cause there was a lot in there. So let's break it down. Yeah. My, my understanding of the question is this per the person who asked the question is providing a service to try and in try and create leads for this consultant. So the consultant can sell them. And most likely this person is like an outsourced SDR or something like that. Okay. Yep. It, Outsource SDRs for not very well-known like price point type of consultancies is a terrible strategy. You're going to get bad customers. Um, you're going to lose a ton of deals. It's just not a good way to go to market. Now you can look at the situation of, of this person who's competing against much larger agencies. They're running ABM and doing that to what we're doing. There are, there are way bigger agencies, $100 million companies that we're competing with that spend their money on trade show booths and, and have a team of ABM and demand marketers to go and, and cold call people and try and get themselves customers. And we're winning them. And the reason is because it's about being smarter. If you're competing with larger companies, you need to be more smart. You need to, you need to do different things. You need, you need to be more creative you need to deliver more value. Those companies at that size are not interested in doing stuff like this. They're interested in creating a system and trying to jam people through. And so when you are in a service-based business and your customers, whether you like it or not, your customers view whatever you do as a commodity. 
That is for sure. I can go and get another outsource, uh, another fractional CFO. I can go get another accounting firm. I can go get another marketing agency. I can fire that one and I can go get another lawyer. If you are in a service business, your most of your customers in the market think that they don't, that whether it's Jim or Susie down the street, they don't care. And so the way that you win in a service-based business is you create brand and you have a differentiated offering. And so those are the two things that I would think about. I don't think that the CTA matters. It's the, it's the strategy, whether the, whether you're going cold outbound to try and get this consultant clients and you're going to say, Hey, come get a consultation or Hey, you know, come and do this, the different thing. It's, it's the outbound strategy that's broken in this model, not the CTA. And so, yeah, like encouraging them to do a podcast or different things like that is, is probably the right strategy. I just recognize how difficult it is for someone in that role to try and flip their mindset around this. Those people are in the sales game. It's very hard for a HR tech consultant to flip flip their mind into the brand game. And I think this person was trying to connect it to the like transition of sort of sales led to product led. And like, is there a different way to think about how to market sort of a service-based company with like product led strategies. Like that was sort of like the other angle of this question, which was interesting. And I don't know if you want to go off into that. It's what we do. Like the, the way that you get more customers in a service-based business is you help customers figure out ways that they don't need to use your service. Right. Which therefore all the people listening to this both live and afterwards, some of the people will take the advice and go and implement it and be successful and be happy and tell someone else to listen to the podcast. And then that new person will listen to the podcast and they'll go and do something and they'll get a better job. And then that person will go to a better job, get to that company and bring us in. And that's how the world works. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, um, by, by figuring out ways to give people enough information where if they're smart enough, they don't need you. Back to the podcast then as the recommendation. <laughs> the podcast is a good strategy. I just recognize that it, for that type of person, it will, it will probably be very difficult to convince them. Yeah. Um, and then for the person who asked the question, if you are in the out, well, you know, five to 15 K ARR cold outbound lead gen, get out of that business for, for, for service based companies, get out, go and find, there's just a different, um, I think there's a different either target market or, you know, different service layer that you should be looking at to be able to be more successful long-term. Did you get everything in on the sale? No, no, no. I just, I have, I have one that I want to cover. It's, it's very timely and I watch, I'm watching a lot of companies take this transition. And so we're experiencing some things and I just want people to know because whether you're doing it right now or you're doing it in a in a year or in two years, this will inevitably for a sales led company be on the, the annual strategic roadmap, whether it's in 2021 or later on, is it, how do we create a product led offering? And so, and so how do we take our tool and allow people to get in it like it's product led, but we still want to sell at 50 K ACV. And so that's, that's a lot of the transition that's happening. And so if you, if you are not thoughtful about how you make this transition, you are going to crush your overall demand flow by just putting a new button on your homepage that says, try for free. Your demos are going to go down a lot. 
And so if you aren't prepared for this and your inbound system is creating a ton of demand, be very careful about how you do this because it can, it can take away millions of dollars of pipeline in weeks. And so the thing to think about, and so basically if we, if we break down our overall demand system, the system is using a ton of different channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, podcast, all these different things paid, paid in organic for our customers to create awareness, which then has them funnel back through an intent channel like Google, Captera, G2, you know, direct traffic to the website, anything like that. And when they get to the website and they land on the homepage, they're looking for the button to convert. And if you change that button, you're going to basically redirect the, all the flow of that water to a different path. And when you redirect it from demo to free trial, and you don't have a way to convert that traffic long-term, you actually end up really hurting your, your pipeline metrics. And so every company that's trying to do this will go through this. It's at some point, if you want to do this, you're going to have to change the button. You're going to have, you're going to have to go through this process and your sales team, if you have, you know, your inbound is con contributing 40, 50, 60, 70% of pipeline, and you shut that off for a couple months, your sales team is going to be starving. And so, um, a really interesting type of consideration to think about the, the, I don't, I don't have a ton of great, um, insights on this, but here's what I, here's what I would do if I was doing it, I would have the product, uh, so tight and all of the, the usage metrics and all the indicators in place that if someone came through a free trial flow and they were in the ICP and you should convert them, that there is immediately a sales motion going on, at least on the, at least in the short term. And then so that you can treat a free trial request based on whether it's a certain stage later, what you call a PQL, they made that integration, they invited three teammates, whatever you decide that usage indicator is, that there's the sales motion actually gets redirected there. And so it doesn't become a demo, it becomes someone that's actually in the product. And maybe the person that's doing that is actually a CS person, not a rep. Those are all considerations to have. Um, but the take home here is I, I know companies are thinking about doing this. Um, and I just want you to be really careful because it can hurt. It can sting. Cool. Let's go a little free flow. Austin, we're going to call on you in a minute. <laughs> I'm, I'm pinging some people to see who has questions. We got through all the ones submitted in advance. So if anyone has any questions, we can bring you on for the, Oh, Gemma, you have a question. Um, Let's bring you on, Gemma. Your first night on Demand Gen Live. You can ask your question. Oh, welcome. <laughs> Hi, Chris. So um, I'm going to be honest. I lived under a rock, and I didn't really know who you were until um, <laughs> the sale, Enterprise Sales Summit. I apologize, and then I EPM'd you in Revenue Collective to be like, oh, how do I get involved? And it was my friend Cindy here who was present um, today that led me here. Awesome um, to have you Going back here. to what you were talking about, how you got started, you know, um, doing videos and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I really want to step outside my comfort zone and start doing video intros in 2021 through LinkedIn DMs, because mm -hmm. I think that there's a big difference between text, voice, and video. And like, in you, given your expertise and your own experience, how do I get started? Do I need like any accessories? Like, do you recommend like a certain time of day for best lighting and whatnot, or just getting started? What are you trying to accomplish? 
So I just want to send, after I connect with somebody, I just want to send them a quick intro, like maybe 30 sec, 15 to 30 seconds to be like, hey, I'm Gemma, happy to connect with you here. We know each other through this, this, this. Mm-hmm. Let me know if I can ever be helpful to you. What are you really trying to accomplish? Just to get to know them better. Just like a relationship building? Yeah, thing? like I'm not looking for a job. Like I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just really yeah, want to get but to I'm, I'm challenging you to think deeply because you, you want to do it for a reason that's deeper mm-hmm. than just sending the video. And so it, I think it'll be helpful for you to talk through what are you really trying to get out of it? And it'll help me give you good advice. Yeah, so just expanding my network, um, building my social capital, like Mm -hmm. surrounding myself with, you know, good people. Mm -hmm. Do you do you intend too vague? No, 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 it's great. So do you intend to try and um like in an ideal state state, you send that video, hey, I'm Gemma, um, really happy to connect with you. I do this, this, and this, would love to like you know, build a relationship, whatever, what would be the ideal outcome after you send that? Like, are you open to chatting through virtual coffee or whatnot, getting to know each other better? Mm -hmm. I don't really have any expectations. I think if I can chime in, I think probably you want to establish a solid enough connection so that this person is now in your network and should ever happen in the future. You have an established relationship with these Mm -hmm. people and yeah. you have an opportunity to engage whomever in your network for whatever reason. It seems like that's where you're coming from is wanting to yeah, yeah. Yeah. and create a network. Maybe you're a little open-minded about exactly how that will come into play later down the road, but wanting mm-hmm. to have sort of, I think that's what you're trying to do. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Which is awesome. Can I share a real life example of, of the bad and the good of that? Let's do sure. it. Um, so, so Gemma, there's, I, I was one of the first hundred thousand people to ever sign up for LinkedIn. And, um, as a recovering Microsoft employee, you would think I actually used it and leveraged the platform. I was foolish enough to actually believe all those messages where LinkedIn says, don't connect to somebody unless you really, really know them. <laughs> and so here we are. I did, I, I founded a company called Novus RX and for nine and a half years was heads down focused on that company. Um, and, and not networking at all. And all the executives that used to call me up and say, Hey, John sales is messed up. Come fix it. Marketing's messed up. When I came up for air, all retired, all gone. That generation does not do social media. And I had 320 connections on LinkedIn. That's five months ago. Okay. And so I started doing the research. I was completely wrong on LinkedIn I ended up upgrading to Sales Navigator. Um, I'm playing around a little bit with Duck Soup, not a lot, just a little bit, uh-huh. um, to do to automate connections. But I go after people that I want to connect to, and all I want to do is give them something. So on on one of mine, and I'm and I'm starting to play around with the video for this too. But right now it's text. It's hey, listen, I founded a company in 2010 called Novus RX, and I have made every freaking mistake you can possibly make running a startup. So if I can be a resource to you, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. And that gets a really positive response rate because I'm not asking for anything. Uh-huh. Never have your first reach out be an ask. Always be a give. And so in a very short amount of time, I'm up to 1,500 connections. I think I'll be at 2,500 in 30 days. And my goal is to be 5,000 in 90 days. Uh-huh. Um, but it's always, always trying to give 
and have something solid that you can give. Um, you know, I, I'm encourage you to have a, a little bit stronger call to action that, you know, I just wanted to reach out and, and see if I can help you. How can you help them mm-hmm. do just enough homework so that you've got something that you can. And I think what you're doing will grow fast, but it, it just takes some time. The messaging is critical. Test it on some of your friends. Um, I'd be happy to have you tested on me if you want, if I can help you out. Um, but you'll be shocked at how, when you, especially like with sales navigator, you can target so much better. So I, I'm really going after founders, investors, and CEOs. And, and I can target very precisely. And then I can have a message just for them. And then tomorrow you can target, you know, marketing managers or, you know, whomever you're looking for in this industry by this type. And you can upgrade to Sales Navigator, use it for a month and downgrade again. Microsoft doesn't care. They're pretty flexible about that. But that's some real world, you know, I I learned this lesson the hard way and I'd love to share my bad uh, decisions with you so that you don't do the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's great advice. The takeaway that I got from you, John, is your intent. It all comes back to intent, right? Like you you don't have some back end. I watch SDRs really make a mistake on this one because they're pretending like they have something that they're trying to give you, but they're really just trying to wait till you or you look at the things so they can come in for their sales pitch on the second invite or in, you know, message. So the key is about the intent, Gemma, I, I hear you on your intent. I think that it's smart. I'll add a couple of different ideas and I'll just tell you like, directly my experience. I get a ton of video DMs and I'll be lucky to watch one out of a hundred. It's just, the, it's just, I'm busy. A lot of people are. Um, and so that's something to consider. Um, I think that you should try it and you should learn. You might get a different, uh, a different response than me. I'm a sample size of one. Um, another thing that I would encourage you to try is to post more broadly, right? So if you go and make 20 connections and then you, and then you post the next day, the odds of those 20 people, if they use the platform, seeing your video, cause you just connected with them yesterday are very high. And so there are probably a lot of ways that you could actually, like, I believe that me posting my videos and having 10,000 people see them is, it creates more affinity than a one-on-one video. Oftentimes it's a very, it's really weird, but it's like, I think that it, it has the same amount of, um, one-to-one connection without me say, having a one-to-one message necessary without me saying their first name straight away. Um, you still can create that, that feeling. So I would encourage you to think about posting in the feed. I think that it would help you get there faster. I think that you would help, help build your confidence faster. Um, and so I, I would encourage you to try that road as well. Okay. And then, uh, Second to that question, if I can add on, Chris, like I know you're busy, Megan, you're busy as well. Your LinkedIn DMs are probably always full. Um, so what is it about the message or the picture that really gets you to open because you are busy? So like what what is it about the one out of 100 video DMs that makes you open it? Are you just curious or do you, you just pick one? Serendipity. <laughs> That's it. Like I am on LinkedIn and I have one message and I look at it and that's just, it's just luck of the draw at that point. I will say that the, the key to me, you know, actually being thoughtful and seeing the message is if I know you and I recognize a lot of people's names and if I recognize the name and I see the message, I'm at least going to read it most, unless I'm super busy, but I oftentimes I'll at least read it. And so the, it's really interesting to think about that because I went the route of the feed, not the DM video. 
And now a lot of people know me. And now if I see send a DM video, people think will think differently than if I did, you know, 10, 12 months ago. The other thing that I'll add in here for you, Gemma, as well, it seems like what you're, it seems like what you really want is to build like some meaningful, authentic relationships with people to expand your network. And so Mm -hmm. I actually think this is a quality over quantity game Mm -hmm. as well, right? So, and to be honest, I know you're part of Rev Genius, you're part of Revenue Collective, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Mm -hmm. If I were you, and like I did this when I was earlier in my career, mm-hmm. I identified like, here are 10 people that I know of mm-hmm. that I really want to know better. And how am I going to, over time, find opportunities to, to be in the same place that they are, um, to add value to them, to send messages that, you know, send, send things that I have no expectation of getting any return or response. Mm-hmm. Um, so there could be another way to think about this and really yeah. asking yourself, you know, who are those people that you think are the right people that you want to be connected to? And, um, and kind of going after a more targeted strategy and you can do both, right? Like you don't have to pick one, one or the other, but, um, and I could be making some assumptions, but I think from where you're coming from, I think that you're you're totally on the ball. So I love it. (laughs) Another thing to think about. And that's like coming tonight and, you know, knowing who's going to be here, going to Thursday night sales, you know, revenue collective Mm -hmm. revenue, they have a ton of events, Mm um, you know, show up to people's events that you want to get to know, ask great questions. Like this is like doing that type of thing is how you build your reputation with the people that you want to build a deeper relationship with. Okay. Thank you. That was great, Megan. And I, I know you asked on the equipment, so I'll just kind of throw some stuff out here at the beginning. I would use your iPhone. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I think that, I think that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, as you start to see success or be more invested, you can think about the equipment, but the key, don't let the equipment get in the way of taking action. Yes. You have all the things that you need. Um, and it's mostly, it's mostly you, right. And your phone. So you got it. Okay. Thank you. Cool. Hope that was helpful. Oh, it was for sure. I loved it. (laughs) Great. All right, Austin, we're calling you in. (laughs) Let me ask a question. <laughs> yeah, you got one. Yeah. Sweet. It's a, That's awesome. It's actually, it's actually along those lines. It's super, it's super tactical. Yeah. Let's so, do it. Love it. Be, but because, uh, I'm, I've had somebody ask recently about putting something like this meeting together, but repurposing the content, right. Just like you do for LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And I go, I need to ask Chris the next time I'm on demand gen live. So when you get the one camera feed for your clips. Do you have somebody else on the meeting capturing that recording from, uh, is it a, is it a second camera? I don't think it is. It looks like the same camera. And second of all, do you have somebody on like speaker only mode? That's just capturing that video that they then repurpose, you know, in the meeting recording this or, is or how are you, how are you? Doing I haven't that? really talked about this before, but we, um, so at the beginning we hadn't figured this out. So it was just the zoom and the zoom zoom is going to compress in order to send it across the video or across the internet. And so the video yes. quality, when you post it on LinkedIn is very obvious that it's not high quality. And so we spent a lot of time trying to figure this out. We finally did. So I'll share it with you. Capture card. Um, so we have the same, uh, I somehow this, camera can do it twice at once. So we have zoom happening right now. And in the background, I'm recording locally on QuickTime in 1080p. And so 
the background is only going to get my audio and my video. And so when it becomes my videos, that's all we have. And then we just use the, the raw zoom for audio, um, and for video on YouTube. And that's how you get the high quality inside of the LinkedIn feed, which has a very noticeable difference in quality. Yes, very. <laughs> yeah. And we even like, in order to make it, uh, uh, size that can work, especially for how long it is, we compress it down to 720 and it still looks really good. That's good to know because I try, so I try to be, um, polite to the fact that I know like you're recording and chop it up later, but you know, because you're in this community setting and people interrupt stuff happens, you know, it's all this stuff. It's still having that separate local recording still preserves what you're saying for repurposing later. So that's really smart. Yeah. Okay. That, just that makes mom, it really right? easy to know. So like, yeah, I, might, just like you. I might have, I, someone might say something, I might pause for a second, but there's no other audio coming through. It's just my audio. Which for small teams makes it much easier to repurpose. Cause then you don't have to pull the whole track, you know, and chop it all, you know, mess with pausing or when I stop talking, when do you start talking? All that stuff makes totally. it so much easier. Yeah. And I get that question all the time. I get the question, like what camera do you use, um, in order for your video to look good? And it's not, it's not the camera. It's how it's recorded. The camera matters, right? Like we do use an HD, um, what is it? Logitech camera. So the camera matters better than the webcam. But the thing that actually makes a difference in this situation is that it's not the zoom recording. It's actually quick time local. Good question. You got another <laughs> cool. Cool. All right. Anyone, one more, otherwise we'll, uh, we'll close out. Remember those days I mean, we're coming up on the holidays. We can end early, but remember those days when we were rolling until nine thirty PM, I think that was only one day, but like there was a little period of time there where it felt like a marathon and toward the end, like nine fifteen was rolling around and I wasn't sure I could even put a sentence together anymore. And I was like, I think we got to stop. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Was it, was it the first or the second episode I was on? You said we cr cracked a world record or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the demand gen live record, we surpassed two hours one night. Um, so everyone, Wishing you the, the best happy holiday. Thanks for joining us uh, tonight. We will be back. We are committed to consistency and action. And so we will be back next Tuesday. Feel free to join if you'd like. Um, and if not, I'm sure that you're doing something relaxing, wonderful with your family and friends. And I hope you enjoy that as well. And uh, if we don't see you, we'll catch you in 2021, which I think we're all really looking forward to. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays, everyone. Have a good night. Well, see ya.